Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Travelers just, I think, naturally just want to help other travelers. Like, you know what you're going through. You know what someone's been through when they've been on the road for like four months and they're wearing their underwear inside out and they do all this eating freaking hot dogs and stuff. Then we're like, yeah, come to my house. And you get all your laundry done and you get like a nice home-cooked meal. And it's like, it means so much to you at that point of your journey, you know, and they know that. Welcome to the Budget-Minded Traveler podcast, your source for the everyday inspiration and practical tips that make international travel accessible to everyone. Hello and welcome to the Budget-Minded Traveler podcast. This is Jackie Nurse and today I'm coming to you from Boulder, Colorado. And I want to ask you the same question that I always ask my guests. Where are you today? If you happen to be on Twitter, wherever you are, jump on and tweet at BM Traveler and tell us where you're listening from just for fun. I promise I'll reply. I just want to see how near and how far some of you are. And speaking of far, those of you who have an affinity for Kiwi accents, you are in for a treat today. In this series, we've been exploring some adventures that our male guests have chosen to take on their own, all of which have included some sort of vehicle. First, we did van life, then car life, then motorcycle life. And now we're paring down even more to hitchhiking. Brendan Lee used to be an accountant in New Zealand. That is until he quit his job to travel the world. And as he puts it, One year turned into two, and then three, and then four. Eventually, I decided to make the road my home. He's joining us today to talk about a specific part of his journey where he spent five months traveling through Europe and documenting all of his costs, complete with some pretty great budget tips. So let's get right into it. Okay, let's go ahead and welcome Brandon Lee to the show, or it's actually Bren. You prefer Bren, right? Yeah, my friends, my close friends call me Bren, so that's why the name was like that. But I mean, whatever you want to call it. Whatever. Me, I love the name Bren, actually. So, um, so Bren, thank you so much for being here. And um, where are you joining us from today? I have just arrived in Kenya. So I was in Tanzania for a few weeks, and now I'm having a look around Kenya. So I'm in Nairobi at the moment. Okay. And it's freezing cold, um, oh. surprisingly, but that's where I am. It's freezing cold in Nairobi. What time is it there right now? It's about eight o'clock at night. Eight o'clock at night. So I'm sitting here in Boulder, Colorado in a tank top, like almost sweating. And it's 11 a.m. <laughs> it's hot. It's, yeah, it's going to be so hot today. Like snow and freezing cold and whatever. But obviously, is it? What is it now? It's, it must be your summer now, right? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah okay. What's happening there? I think technically it's in the winter. But they're kind of close to the equator. I think they, the equator actually runs through Kenya, if I'm not mistaken. So it shouldn't change that much, but it is cold. It is very cold. I've also been here earlier in the year, and it's very warm. So that's it's different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so thanks so much for being here. Um, I actually, you, the reason you're here is because you actually wrote a really interesting blog post about a trip to Europe, and you shared your numbers for your budget. And I, I 
really want to get into that. But first, let's find out who you are, um, because I think you have an interesting story. So why don't you go ahead and just give us a quick rundown on your story, where you're from and when and why you started traveling, etc. Well, I was uh, raised in New Zealand and I did the whole, you know, I went to university, I got a job, I was working as an accountant for, um, for about three and a half years. And then I left my job as a CA or a CPA, as I, I think you guys call it in your country. And I, I've kind of wanted to travel for a little bit. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it for a long time or whatever, but I took a trip to um, where I am now, actually, in the eastern coast of Africa. Mm-hmm. And I just loved it so much. And so I decided to keep traveling. I went to South America after that. I had a lot of savings for my job. So uh, money wasn't a huge issue at that time. And then I got a scholarship to study in China. So I, I spent one year there. And then after that, I just continued traveling. I started my blog after about three years on the road and then went all around the world. And now I'm, now I'm back here. That's pretty much it in about 30 seconds. Yeah. I know that's, it's hard to do. I know that's a loaded question yeah. too. Yeah. When you have, you know, years, five, six years of travel stories under your belt. They all kind of blur together at the end as well. So it's kind of like, I don't really know what to tell you and what not to tell you. Um, Yeah, I hear (laughs) you. So you left new, so were you planning originally to go back to your job or were you, did you know that you were going to kind of take off and continue? Like a big question mark. Like I, I didn't think I was going back to my job in New Zealand, but I thought Possibly I might be going back to the profession some somewhere else, maybe in London, maybe in the States or whatever. But obviously it, it didn't turn out that way. I think a lot of people have that sort of thought, actually. They're like, oh, maybe I might go back. But after you've, if, if you travel and you really love it, then it's, it's just super hard to go back to something like that, um, especially if it's you don't love, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. uh, oh, I hear you. Obviously that way. Yeah. Yeah, I quit my last job and at the end of 2012 and I just have never looked back. It's 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 hard to uh to make we're that transition. We're on the same timeline cuz mine was in mid 2011, so mm-hmm. we're about a year apart since mm-hmm. <laughs> since leaving that part of our life, yeah. Yeah, it's it's addicting. It's addicting for sure. So, what are the um this is going to I didn't, I didn't ask you, I didn't prepare you for this one, but what are some of the biggest challenges that you have faced on the road? Cause you've been alone the whole time, right? You've been traveling solo. Yeah. Or like 99% of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what have been some of the challenges that you faced? Financial obviously is one of them, but I would yeah. argue that for myself, uh, that definitely is, has not been the biggest or not even, maybe not even the top three. I would say Unlike from a broad point of view, I would say probably like emotionally, you know, how you deal with Mm. um, going to so many places. And uh, I I tend to stay in places for quite a long time, like usually at least a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. Um, And naturally you sort of get involved in different communities and you meet a lot of different people and just saying goodbye to so many people, letting so many people into your life and then having to say goodbye to them, not knowing if you'll see them again, not knowing if you'll ever be back in those places. Emotionally, it's, it's super, super challenging, super draining. And I think it's a part of travel that we don't really talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. And you sort of, I think you leave 
little bits of yourself everywhere and eventually you just kind of you you kind of run out in a way you, you there's sort of nothing left for you to give and and you travel and you sort of don't want to meet anyone anymore and you don't want to get involved in any more communities so for that it's been like a huge mindset change and a real emotional challenge to sort of stay excited almost about traveling you know but it's 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 like a double-edged sword in a way like if i went back well when i do go back to new zealand it's like oh my god i have to get out of here because there's nothing here for me but then back on the road it's you get that sort of thing again you know what i mean so i do know what you mean yeah Yeah. it's such a tough reality i actually wrote um and i wrote like a personal essay about that about loneliness because you do it's you kind of flit around and, and you meet a lot of people but everything is so most of it is so surface you know that um these the relationships are are pretty light it's rare that you meet those really special people on the road where you just kind of keep in touch and you get those deep friendships it's really rare and so it's a very lonely thing first of all and then the goodbyes that is a oh it is it's the curse of it's the curse of travel i feel like it's the biggest curse of travel it's so difficult it never gets easier it's the thing I have hated the most about this lifestyle ever since the beginning, like decade, like a long time ago when I first started. I mean, goodbyes still make me cry. I just, I hate them. They never get easier. It's such a, that's such a true, true point. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Cause that's, I was actually just reading an article this morning that talks about the fact that a lot of writers don't talk about that reality, you know, that, that we, the, the loneliness and the things that we are faced with that, that isn't all rainbows and butterflies, you know? And, um, so it's definitely something that, that we should talk about. And it's interesting because when I, when I open up about those things, they seem to be the most popular posts, you know, they get a lot of engagement. They're difficult to write about them as well. I think that's part of the reason, like a lot of travel bloggers probably don't like putting that feeling into, into words on a page without sounding like you're you know, whinging about being able to go to so many interesting places and meet so many interesting people and then sort of trying to say like, oh, I hate it so much because this, it just set like, you know, it's, it's difficult to just tell it from your vantage point without trying to sound like super, I don't know, and just ungrateful for it all because it, it, it like, it, it's super amazing as well, you know, that you get to do that, but it's, of course, there's another side to it. That, of course. That it's draining and challenging and emotionally yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a lot. Of- mm-hmm. I always say a really easy way to cover all that up is just say, you know, you don't have the highs without the lows. <laughs> right, exactly. It's true. You can't recognize, you really can't recognize the highs without experiencing the lows. It's, it's it comes together. So. Yeah, in every part of life. Absolutely. It's very true. So when did you uh, do this Europe trip? Let's, let's get into uh, this, uh, this five-month Europe trip that you did. When did this take place, first of all? This, it started in the middle of 2016. So it was like, sort of like at the, almost at the start of the European summer. Okay. Last year. Oh, such a good, so it's only a year ago. And so these numbers are going to be pretty relevant still uh, at this point. And um, it looks like you went through 11 countries, 23 cities, 40 beds. (laughs) 10,000 kilometers. <laughs> so tell us about what was the, what, what was your itinerary? Like, where did you go? What, what was, what did it look like? What did your trip look like? And did you, how long did you stay in places, etc.? Okay. So I started off in Spain 
and my family was there at the time. So I traveled a little bit with my family and then they all went home. And so that's when my trip really started. So I was in the south of Spain and it's kind of a complicated uh, visa thing that with those EU rules. So I knew, um, and the New, Ze- New Zealanders have kind of like a funny like visa rules. So I knew that I had to, without explaining it all, I had to start in the east. So I flew straight from Spain to Poland. And so I was going to do the whole Eastern Bloc of Europe first. So I started in Poland. And Hold I went, on. I started- I'm sorry, but I actually think that my audience would like to hear about that visa thing. Are you referring to the three-month allowance in the EU? Yeah. So it's the same for New Zealanders, because I know that we have that. It's different for New Zealanders. Okay. Because New Zealand had this, like back in the 40s or 50s, they signed all these, these bilateral visa waivers for, with different countries, mm. like with Austria. Germany and France and Spain, all these different countries. I, I'm not sure what the motive was behind it, but it was basically a visa waiver between New Zealand and that country. And then when the Schengen or Schengen, however you pronounce it, thing came into effect, because our visa waivers were signed earlier, they kind of overwrote the, the later Schengen agreement. So uh, what that meant was technically I could spend three months in each of those countries if I wanted to. So I could spend mm. three months in Austria, three months in France, three months in Spain. Um, and But it only applied to mostly Western countries, Western European countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so the countries like Poland, Estonia, Latvia, all these countries, it didn't apply to them. Um, but it applied to like Spain, Portugal, Italy, like these countries. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had to start in the East. I've got a big blog post on my blog about that. Um, you can okay. that in. Yeah, we'll Instagram. link to that in the show notes. We'll, we'll link to everything that we talk about in the, in the show notes. Yeah, so I've written up a huge blog, like a ridiculously long blog post about that. So anyone that's any Kiwis listening that are interested in that, it's you'll find it on my site. Okay, so Poland. Yeah, I flew to Poland first. I spent um, a few weeks in Krakow just taking care of some some blogging stuff and some work. I spent a few weeks there. Um, and then I hitchhiked up to the top of, up to Finland. So I hitchhiked through through Poland, through Lithuania, through Latvia, and through Estonia caught the boat to Finland and then I went through Finland and a little bit of Norway and then caught the boat to Sweden. And then from Sweden, I came down to Denmark and then Germany. And then I went to Switzerland. I bust or trained that whole route there. And from Switzerland, I, I flew out and that was basic five months. That took about five months. Yeah. Okay. This is really interesting though, because you may have started in Spain and then, you know, you went to Eastern Europe. However, you just named the most expensive countries in Europe. And I mean, with Scandinavia and with Switzerland. And so that's really intriguing because your numbers are actually really uh, impressive. So first, maybe I'm going to read these. Um, I'm going to read these numbers and then maybe we can try and break them down and see what you did to to only spend that much because it's kind of crazy. Um, so, and I'm reading these straight from your blog post and we'll link to this blog post also on the show notes page, but, um, so your accommodation, you have six, about 1600 euros, transportation, 873 euros, other stuff, booze, food, getting around all that shiz, (laughs) 3,900 euros, and then travel insurance, 165, 165. So your total for 156 days for these five months is about 6,500 euros, which that's pretty good for hitting all of the countries that you just mentioned. So 
Uh, it says here just over 42 euros per day. It's like $50 a day. So let's try and break some of this down and uh, give some examples, some like real life examples to the stories behind these numbers. So I did notice that you mentioned, let's start with transportation. You mentioned you hitchhiked. That's huge because I bet that saved you so much money right there. Um, and then you took some buses. So how, how did you best save money with all of your transportation, I guess? So the hitchhiking thing was, was, it was just something I'd never really tried before. Not at least not in the sense, you know, like standing by the side of the road, like, Hey, give me a ride kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so I was like, that would be cool. So I, I, I was just going to hitchhike from Krakow up to Warsaw when I was in Poland. I was like, let me try that. And then as I was kind of researching the region, I learned that hitchhiking is quite popular in that region. So I was like, why don't I just hitchhike all the way up to Finland? Like that would be a good challenge, you know, rather <laughs> than just bus because it's so you know once you've done a few long long overnight buses or whatever you only need to do a few and then you can kind of be like i'm over it oh, yeah. um, or one so, <laughs> in my opinion so, gosh so never like, again it's cool to do it the first time like you do a 20-hour bus ride and you're like oh that was cool now i can tell everyone i did a 20-hour bus ride but after that you know there's nothing romantic about it anymore no so, and you don't need that adventure anymore everybody says oh but it's it's an adventure well i'm gonna opt out of that adventure it surely it for sure is an adventure but um but you know it gets old real quick so i was like hitchhiking would be a new kind of challenge you know like something that's out of my comfort zone after being on the road for so long did you have any problems hitchhiking was it scary no, at all not, no good oh, not, oh, but i was really well planned like i was super well planned like i'd start early in the morning and i'd check the weather and i'd have a plan like if i don't get a ride like and i, I did have one tough day where it was it took me like four hours to get a car but and that's the longest um, you waited? Yeah, about four hours. But I, I had to kind of zigzag that route because no one was going to where I wanted to go. So I was like, I think I caught three car, three different cars in that day. Hmm. And I was kind of doubting it at the end of that day if I, would, if I was going to make it. But no, I made it in the end. Okay, so if you're brave and feeling adventurous, then hitchhiking is a good option in that region. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, it, was, it was way easier than I thought it was going to be because... The first time I hitchhiked was from Krakow to Warsaw. And so I had written out my really nice Warsaw sign <laughs> in Polish. I like got, I, there's this website called Hitch Wiki and they tell you all the best spots to find, like from where to hitch from. Like they'll say, if you're hitching out of Krakow, go to this service station on this road and that's the best place to get a car to stop. You know, so it's, it's, it's different to how it was like 40 years ago. Like now you yeah. know exactly where to go. Like, you know, like everything, you know, you know, all yeah. the laws and everything in five minutes that's such a good tip thank you we'll put that on the show notes page too so i got the bus there and i and i stood out and i was like is this the spot and i saw the service station i was like oh yeah this is this must be where it is and so i was kind of i pulled my sign out and i was just kind of putting my bag at my feet and i was holding the sign up and literally in like 30 seconds i looked up and some guy had already stopped and i was like oh "Oh, hi are you gonna whistle that's amazing (laughs) like and he turned out to be a really cool guy. He'd hitchhiked all across Europe when he was younger. And um, so that was my first time hitchhiking. And it was like, literally, it couldn't have been easier. Like he picked me up. He had a really nice big four-wheel drive and he drove me straight to Warsaw. Nice. And it was it was always really like that. It was like, obviously you had to wait longer than other times. Like the other times I had to wait longer than that. But 
um, usually within an hour, you know, I got a car and it was just some guy that was just driving, like, I don't know, wherever, driving home to some different city. He worked in the capital and he was driving wherever and they just pick people up. And a lot of, a lot of the guys that I talked to, they, they said they pick up hitchhikers quite often, you know? Um, and one Lithuanian guy was like, yeah, I used to hitchhike all the time to school when I was a kid. And, um, I know what it's like, you know, to be standing there in all these cars driving mm. past you. So I, I picked you up. And it's it's really accepted. It's really easy if you hitchhike during the day. You know, make, go out early in the morning. Like, try not to hitch at night. Don't hitch in the rain. Like all these all these kind of common sense rules. Mm-hmm. I think one rule that I would give to people that that I don't know. It, it kind of sounds like common sense, but probably not when you're in the moment. Is that if if someone stops for you and they kind of look shady, or you just get a bad vibe, or you know, you're not really you just kind of feel like you shouldn't get in the car and just don't get in the car. Just be like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm really comfortable mm-hmm. hitching with you. And they'll probably understand, you know, it's, it's like, that's, that's probably the best rule I can give you is like, you don't need to get in the car if you don't want to get in the car. It's such a good rule. I think people feel very pressured on the spot. They do for mm-hmm. sure. And like back in New Zealand, people hitchhike a lot and I was with um, one of my surfing buddies and he was telling me the story about how this just total dope just stopped to pick up a couple of his students. And, you know, he got out of the car and they, he opened up the back seat and it was just full of, tr- like he'd been sleeping in there and it was just full of trash and like McDonald's wrappers and pizza boxes and stuff. He's like, Oh, let me just make a, a little bit of room for you guys. And he was just pushing it all to the side and, and, and they got in the car and my coach was like, oh, my surfing buddy was like, that's, that's usually the time when you just say, hey, thank you for stopping, but I'm sorry, I just, I, I'm not riding with you today. But they still got in the car, and I think it's it's kind of like people don't want to sound rude or look rude, but, I mean, there's nothing that says you need to get in the car. So I think right. that's, that once you realize that, that, that if someone stops, you don't actually have to get in the car. Hitchhiking becomes a much more sort of, like, easier thing to deal with, I think. Like, because people always, the funny thing about hitchhiking is, is, you as a hitchhiker, you're you're kind of hoping, God, I really hope someone crazy doesn't pick me up, right? And the yes. driver is also thinking, like, God, I really don't, I really hope I don't pick up someone crazy. So <laughs> you're both scared of each other. Like you're like like a driver's stopping and he's kind of like, please let this guy be normal and not a total weirdo. And you're thinking exactly the same thing. Usually, it's you're both perfectly normal people and it, it works out fine. So. Um, once you take all that pressure off, I think hitchhiking becomes a much more easy and fun mm-hmm. thing to do. Yeah, like you can be in more control than 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 it seems when you're hitchhiking, right? It's really good advice. I always say common sense is your best defense. So just don't be afraid to go with your gut. Trust your intuition. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so that, that was all the hitchhiking that I did. I really wanted to do a lot more in Scandinavia, but just the weather was so bad. Like oh. it would rain. Morning, and then it would be sunny in the afternoon, and you would just never know what was going to happen. So, I did meet a lot of people hitchhiking out there, though, but um, not for me. Yeah. When you stopped hitchhiking, did you just take buses then, or did you did you try to avoid trains? That's what I'm asking because trains are more expensive. So, how did you keep your transportation costs so low? I mostly used buses when I was sort of further down, like Germany, Switzerland. Um, I used Flixbus, which is super cheap and super good. Um, which is spelled F L I X bus. Um, okay. and you can book everything online. It's just super, that was just so much cheaper than any, any train that I could find. Mm-hmm. 
I also hired a car when I was up in the north of Finland. Surprisingly, it was quite cheap. I think it was about, from memory, it was like $30, $30 a day, something like that. I can't remember. It'll be on my blog post. And I used that to drive all the way up to the north of Norway and, you know, because I was trying to find the northern lights up there. So I was driving, I drove from Finland up to the north of Norway and around a few towns in Norway and came back down over about five days. Um, but catching a bus through that region would have just been impossible and it probably would have been expensive as well. So You have uh, 193 euros for renting a car here, which is interesting. For the five days, that's a really good deal. Especially if you're chasing Northern Lights, you can go wherever you want. Oh, sometimes it's yeah, so it worth it to have a car. Did you find them? Yeah, yeah, no, I did. On my very last day, I found them. Okay. Um, <laughs> found them. I found them in a town called Alta in Norway, which is actually quite far down from the northern point. I thought that you just, if you want to find them, you just go north, like as north as possible, and you'll mm-hmm. find them. But I found out that once I got up there, I found out that's actually wrong because it's quite cloudy up there. So you don't actually see them. So I drove all that way and then I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least you <laughs> got them a, in the end. <laughs> yeah. That was probably the highlight of that trip, I think. That was that was a, that little road trip was, was super fun. Highly recommend that to anyone that's heading that way. Cool. Um, any other transportation high, that you want to highlight that you that you experienced on this trip? Not really, just, just go by road, I think. It's just so much, go by road or rail. It's um, There's so many options now for buses and for trains and that it, you shouldn't be paying that much to get around that area of Europe. I mean, I know people use the railing passes, but I looked into it and it just didn't seem that economical for me. And also the fact that you needed to pre-plan quite a lot of your stuff. Yeah, Like going between two different countries, I never found there to be like a train that was super expensive or a bus that was super expensive. It was always easy to get between countries for, for cheap. Like I think it might cost you like 20 euros at the most or 30 maybe if it's something really like maybe if you're in a super expensive country. But otherwise, no. I mean, I, transportation never really, it was never kind of something at the back of my mind like, oh, God, I'm going to have to pay money for this. It was always something that I was just like, yeah, I'll just pay for whatever okay. it costs because right. it's not that much. Yeah, transportation can be huge. So, um, and yeah, the URL, I think you're talking about the URL pass, the, um, and that, that's, I, I have a post about when that's, when that's useful and when it's not, you know, like when, when is the best time to use that? And, um, because it's, it is confusing and it is expensive. Um, so maybe I'll. Hey, I was, I always thought that it would be such an easy thing to be like, just pay this much money and you just do whatever you want. But it's, got all these weird rules and like can't travel on this class of train and not that and whatever i just had no time to be reading through all that stuff yeah i hear you it's it's very particular so um and yeah well that's good um buses i don't think people think of buses so much when they think of europe because of all the trains so that's good i love it it's so much easier and you just book it through an app or on the website and it's super easy to find usually they leave from the train station anyway and they're so much cheap. They all have Wi-Fi and everything. It's really, yeah, buses. Bus was my number one choice. Oh, man. I took a bus once from Prague to Munich, I think. And uh, <laughs> I think there were four, maybe four of us at that point on the bus. And we randomly got pulled over, you know, for the, they, they'll, they'll stop you and check your documents. And they decided to pull like seven people randomly just off the bus to get their luggage 
what's the word checked, you know, and they had to go through everything and oh, we didn't speak any Czech, you know? And so they get on the bus Such and cool. they just start, yeah, they searched. And so they just start pointing at people and, um, yeah. And so, uh, was this in, in Germany. This was in, I think it was on the Czech side. I can't even remember now. It was like a night bus though. So it's kind of, kind of sketchy. They just like made people get off with their bags and went through everything on the side of the road. But then they just got back on afterwards, you know, just, and they have the right to do that. It's not a border crossing. Um, all throughout Europe, the, they have the right to check your documents at any time. So you better make sure that you have everything in order. Because especially within the EU, they're not going to do border crossings um, yeah, because yeah. of the Schengen. Well, in the uh, no, I shouldn't say that in the Schengen area, they they're not going to do border border checks, but they do have the right to pull you over <laughs> your bus, your entire bus, check your documents at any time. So be prepared. Okay, so let's go on to accommodations. Then I cannot help but notice how much you couch surfed, and I am a massive fan of couch surfing just because of the amazing stories and friendships that come out of it. So you couch surfed a lot. Was that your, your main strategy for saving money with accommodations? Cause you only spent seven, not even 1700 euros for, for five months. That's insane. It says you couch surfed for 51 nights. <laughs> I guess you're guessing that that <laughs> saved you about a thousand to 1500 euros. I believe it. Yeah. Cause a lot of that was in Finland and a lot of that was, uh, where else is that? I can't even remember now, but, um, I think a bit in Poland as well, and maybe in Estonia. I don't remember exactly where it was. I know it was a lot in Finland. Finland and Norway, it looks like. and, and in, Yeah, that's right, in Norway. And Nor- that was huge, Finland and Norway, because accommodation is not cheap in those places. Like mm-hmm. even, especially at that time of year, like even a, the crappiest hostel dorm is going to cost you about 30 or 40 euros Oof. a night. Ugh, I hate that. <laughs> You don't want to sleep in a dorm anyway. And then it's so expensive because couch surfing can be really hit and miss. I mean, you have to contact a lot of people. So how did you find that in Scandinavia? Did you, did you find it pretty easy? Did you have to contact a lot of people? Depends on the country really. Cause it's like in Finland, it was super easy. Like pretty much every city that I wanted to surf in, I was able to surf in. And then Norway was pretty easy too. Like I was, I was turning down people cause I would send out like five requests and like mm. three people would be like, sure. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna wow. to choose one. that's a really great, that's huge. And then I got to, um, I got to Sweden and I sent out, I got to Stockholm and I sent out honestly, like, I think it was about 25 requests and no one even, like, I didn't even get a single reply. Like oh. no one even said like, no, busy, just like no one replied. But I was like, that's really weird. And then I, I wanted to surf in Copenhagen as well. And it was sort of the same thing. A few people replied and, and there was actually a couple of people that were really good. They replied and they're like, sorry, like, you know, I'm just kind of busy, but here are some really good tips for Copenhagen and da da. da. So the Danish seemed to be a little bit more welcoming than the <laughs> Swedish, but <laughs> the Finnish and the, the Norwegians were, were, were definitely the best. I don't know. I think for couch surfing, like I've met a lot of people that said, yeah, I tried it. It didn't really work out. Um, you really need to put quite a lot of effort into it. You know, you need to like, you need to like first make a good profile, like, and sort of write a lot of stuff about yourself because people are like, I've got to welcome this guy into my house. Like, I hope, I hope he's not a complete dork, you know, like Mm -hmm. he needs to like be kind of interesting and, and fun to hang out with. And 
I don't want a dude that's just going to come and sit on his laptop and just sit in the corner, you know, like, so you got to kind of sell yourself almost on couch surfing. So, you know, you like, you don't have to be super interesting or anything. You don't have to have, have like traveled to like a hundred countries, but like just write what you're interested in. Like if you play the guitar, if you go surfing, if you like hiking and mountaineering or whatever, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you like just at least kind of. If you're a major Game of Thrones nerd, <laughs> you never know what you can connect over. It's very, it is very true because people tend to gravitate towards people who look more like themselves. And so. That's write a lot and get references from people that know you so that so that those people will see that that other people think highly of you, too. So you don't have to have um, that's actually a really good tip for couch. So I'm just going to throw this in real quick. Even if you haven't couch surfed yet, I'm sure you have friends who are on the platform. And so ask them, connect with them and ask them for reviews just, you know, of like personality, like references so that you can get some positive things said about you. Couch surfing is great when you can make it work. So. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. It's one of my favorite things about the whole backpacking community, and like honestly, anyone can do it. Like a lot of people say, like, oh, you know, you get hosted because like you've got a blog and you just you like you sound really interesting. It's like anyone can like I host people in New Zealand as well, and I don't like like as long as I can see that they've written down, you know, stuff about themselves and they've like made an effort to sort of be a part of the community. Then I'm always like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll hang out with you. I'll you can you can stay at my place or whatever anything just write down what kind of music you like and all that sort of stuff and it and that's gonna sort of give people the confidence to be like okay cool you can stay at my place for one or two nights because mm-hmm. it's kind of if you think about it it's kind of it's kind of a big big deal for for hosts you know to sort of like welcome someone to their home and give up all that time and all that effort mm-hmm. and so they want to make sure that that you know they're meeting someone that they can get they get along with and it's like interesting um so that's the first side of it and then the second side of it is like when you send out your messages like at least try and sound like you're not copy pasting like like the same message to 20 people, you know, like say like, Hey, I saw that you're a big fan of the chili peppers and you know, I like the new album and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. we should hang out and it'll, you know, like something like that. And, Make it personal. And, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And you're gonna, <clears throat> you don't have to write like an essay or anything. I mean, but you know, at least make an effort. And I think that's, those two things are, are things that like 80% of the people that try out couch surfing don't do. And that's why they don't find anyone to, to um, accommodate them. But right. if you manage to put in some effort for those things, then, then yeah, I think you had a good chance at, at, you know, being, getting involved in, in that community. Yeah. And, and read the profiles of the host too. Cause a lot of times the hosts will say, look, if you want to couch surf with me, send me a message and put, you know, tomatoes in the subject line or something like they're, they want you to know, they want to know that you read their profile that you are choosing them for a reason. And so that will stand out too. So uh, pay attention, you know, read, read. It's there for a reason. <laughs> People and why read. wouldn't you? Anyway, yeah. like you're going to be stuck. Like, don't you want to know who they are? <laughs> so mm-hmm. the, like, it's, just, it's just obvious. Right. Those are some good tips for couch surfing. We'll put this stuff on the show notes page. Um, so what other kind of accommodations did you stay mostly otherwise in hostels? Um, how did you, how did you keep your costs down? If it wasn't, if I wasn't surfing or staying with a friend, it was always, it was always a like the cheapest hostel dorm that, that I could find, but mm-hmm. not necessarily in the cheapest hostel. Cause like there's a lot of crappy hostels. So I'd always find like a decent hostel, but I'd always book the cheapest dorm in that hostel. <laughs> Noted. Yeah. But one thing that I will say is, especially when you're on a long trip like that, especially in Europe as well, is you're going to meet, like you're going to meet a lot of people and most of them are going to be from Europe. 
And I can just think of now, I don't know, remember exactly how many, but now just off the top of my head, I can think of like three people that I stayed with that I met while I was on the trip. Mm. So it was like, I was in Estonia and we were, I was at like a festival and I met like three people there. Well, I met a lot of people there, but there were three people that I stayed in touch with and they were from Finland and another place in Finland and Estonia. And I stayed with all three of them while I was going through the country. So it's like, one thing I'll say is like, keep in touch with the people that make an effort to, first of all, to be social, obviously, and, and, and uh, make new connections and then stay in touch with them because it's, it's the easiest way to find a host is someone that you already know. You know, it's like, you don't have oh, to yeah. send a random, or a random person, just be like, Hey man, I'm coming to Helsinki tomorrow. Can I crash on your couch? And who's usually like, yeah, sure. No problem. Right. Use Facebook. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that was another good tip. And that saved me quite a lot of money as well doing that. And also led me to some pretty interesting places, like some pretty interesting small towns and stuff that I probably wouldn't have gone to otherwise. Yep. It's so cool to use those kind of connections. And I, I can think of off the top of my head, I can think of several as well. Just meeting people on the road, staying with them later in some sort of fashion or traveling with them again later, you know, meeting back up. It's it's a traveler circuit. And once you are in it and you get to know the other personalities that are in it, like we're all in it together. And so you just help each other through it. And so it's, it's, it's such a, a great tip to just take advantage of those really, you know, those, those, those friendships, keep, keep them, uh, keep them alive so that you can, you know, see each other again. And it's so great. You do come up with the best stories. Those are my favorite stories about couch surfing. Actually, old like old friends and whatever. Or... Uh huh. Just what the people you meet on the road, yeah, and how they're still friends. You know, I mean, I have people that I've met a decade ago that I'm still friends with that I've stayed with recently again. You know, and again and again. It's the coolest. It's just part of the traveler's world. Just thinking about it now, like at the, at the end of that trip when I finished in Switzerland, I was there for like a week and for almost, well, basically for the whole time. I was staying with an old friend that I'd met a couple of years back in France. And so I stayed at her place um, with her family and they lived in like this tiny little town in Switzerland. And it was just like they had, I, I guess everyone in Switzerland's got like a really nice house for some reason <laughs> because they're so small and like everywhere you go, everything just looks beautiful. And so we're in this tiny little town, but they had, they lived in like this little palace and it was like, mm. it was just crazy. But I mean, that's just, I'm just trying to say that if you, even if it's someone that you haven't seen for like two or three or four years, if you met them on the road, they're more than likely going to be want to help you or they're going to want you to stay with them because travelers just, I think naturally just want to help other travelers. Like, you know what you're going through, you know what someone's been through when they've been on the road for like four months and they're wearing their underwear inside out and they do all this eating freaking hot dogs and stuff. Then we're like, yeah, come and stay at my house. And you get all your yeah. laundry done and you get yeah. like a nice home cooked meal. And mm -hmm. it's like, it means so much to you at mm -hmm. that point of your journey, you know, and they know that. Yeah. So. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's so true. So we're kind of getting short on time. So let's, um, let's just hit a couple of these other things. You have other spending listed. Um, food is a big one. So maybe what are some of your best tips for saving on kind of the everyday spending, activities, food, etc.? Okay. So for food, I would say cooking is huge, especially in Europe, cooking is huge. And 
Europe has a lot of really good markets. Like in every major city, they've got really good mar- like fruit and veggie markets, farmers markets, and the food is so cheap. Like it's probably half the price of what you'd find in a supermarket. And I, I remember when I was in Finland, and I, I there was a Sunday market in the main square, and I'd never seen it before because I was in that city for quite a few weeks. And I was like, oh, cool, I'll do all my shopping here today. And it was, I spent probably like five or six euros, and I had the amount of vegetables and fruit that I had was just ridiculous. Like, so definitely look for those places. They're actually, they tend to be quite hard to find. You need to ask around. But, um, and usually they're only on certain days. Like, they might be, oh, it's only here at this sort of park on Tuesday and Sunday or something. Mm-hmm. So um, you have to look for it. But I found, I cooked a lot when I was in Europe, and I found that was huge for me for saving money on food. Um, I, I was in Finland for almost a month and I cooked probably like 70% of my meals or 80% of my meals. So what, what about the person who wants to go to Finland and experience, you know, Finnish food or anywhere really like how, I mean, for me, I would just think of street food, but in some places I think that's harder to find. Like how, how was that in Finland? What if you wanted to go out for a Finnish meal? Like, what would you do then? Well, you still do it, but you just don't do it like every single day. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you find the stuff that you want to eat and you eat. Like I ate pretty much all of the traditional Finnish stuff that I heard about. One time there was like this reindeer stew that was, it's like super popular in Finland. I can't remember what it's called. Poronkaristas. I'm sure I butchered that name, but, <laughs> but we cooked it. So we went to the supermarket and we bought reindeer and, and we, we bought all the stuff and I cooked it with my couch shipping host. Okay, there you go. Mm-hmm. Together. Um, and that's, that's only because reindeer is like freaking expensive. And that's the reason we did that. Otherwise, I would have just gone to a, to a cafe and eaten it. But you just do it like, unless it's something that you love so much, you're going to eat it like every day. Um, I don't find that you need to eat out that much to experience local cuisine. I mean, you can do it eating out a few times and spending a little bit of money. But when I say don't eat out, I mean it more from the point of, like a lot of backpackers will go to Subway when they're too lazy to do Ugh. anything or they'll go, you know, something like that. And it's just such a waste of money because, I mean, you're traveling, you know what I mean? So you're, and you're trying Subway. to save your- <laughs> <laughs> so- You hit on a good point there, though, um, that you cooked with your couch surfing host. And that is absolutely brilliant because you have a local right there. I mean, and you know what? You could also, this is also something you could do with Airbnb when the Airbnb host is present if if you don't do couch surfing but you like to be around locals you know you could pick an airbnb where the where the host actually lives in the in the house too and a lot of times they are interested in interacting with you so that's um not just for couch surfing but you know especially if if you offer to buy the groceries you know and and then you're getting a home-cooked meal from a local uh it's a really good idea a great experience too. I had one of the most amazing meals of my life on the coast of uh, the Eastern coast of the Adriatic coast of Italy once with a couch surfing host. And he had invited like five of his friends over and they just cooked up this amazing seafood feast. And I still remember this. I mean, I drool over this meal when I think about it, it was like five courses of seafood and the best stuff. And we you know what we paid for the groceries and Italian men cooked us a meal like that's a no brainer. <laughs> it was it was so great. So this is a really good really good tip. Yeah, now cooking cooking local meals I find is even more satisfying than going out and eating them because um especially if you're with someone that knows how to cook it because it's super interesting. 
especially just going to find the ingredients and like stuff that you would normally just walk past in the supermarket. They're like, oh yeah, we need this. And it's like, what the hell is that? Like, I've never seen that in my life. Yeah. Um, it's just totally, it's super interesting process to, to try and not just eat a local meal, but to try and actually make one. Um, so definitely, especially up in that part of the world, because they've got some interesting stuff up there. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Let's, um, let's try to wrap up here. Uh, that was some, those are some really, really great budget tips for traveling across Europe. Is there anything else that we didn't hit on that you definitely want to add? I don't think so. I mean, is it, it's been a while since I've, since I wrote that blog post. I can't remember exactly what was in it, but no, not really. Basically just we, that stuff. A couple extra things that you spent money on. There's a picture of you getting your hair cut, you know, we'll link to the, oh, and then cell phone stuff as well. Yeah, that's a cell phone is um, definitely like you, there's no need to like kind of roam in Europe because SIM cards were so cheap and the internet is, especially on the eastern side of Europe, the internet is so quick. Um, I think I paid like, when I was in Finland, I think I paid like 90 cents a day, like for unlimited everything on a SIM card, um, like unlimited internet calls, texting, whatever. And that was, that was I only needed that because I was in Finland for, um, for quite a while and I had some work to do. But mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely use the local SIM cards. That's another good tip. Mm-hmm. Like, don't pay for a big roaming, like, whichever country you're from, it's going to differ, obviously, but you don't need to spend any money on a big roaming plan. I think that goes for almost everywhere in the world now. Everywhere's so connected. Oh, yeah. And I have a lot of stuff about that that I write on my blog about the phones, especially, too. So I can link to some more of that here. And um, and then you guys can also see what he wrote about it in this post because there's, there's lots of good stuff in here. So you're now in Kenya. What? Let's 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 fast forward to the present. Uh, are <laughs> yes. you? What are you? Are you just traveling through? Do you have any specific plans for for while you're in Africa? Well, I was. I've just spent the last month in in Tanzania, in the north of Tanzania. That's the first place I actually came when I started when I quit my job. I came up to this small town called Moshi in the north of Tanzania, um, and I was doing some nonprofit work up there I was doing some volunteer work because I was on that classic you know I've been working as an accountant for three years so now I need to go and you know do something meaningful and change the world and all that stuff <laughs> and uh, I still I'm still connected with some students and stuff up there and there's still some some kind of like non-profit initiatives I'm connected with so I I'm actually up in that region every couple of years or so now so I've just been up there for a month and everything is taken care of and now I'm just going to travel try and see a little more of Kenya and maybe overland over to Uganda it's kind of up in the air at the moment but I've got about a month right now to to spend in this part of the world so Amazing. it's a work in progress it's a, I'm planning exactly what I'll be doing and where I'll be going but right now I'm in Nairobi just talking to you and not <laughs> doing much <laughs> well it sounds great so if people are interested in following you where can they find you my blog is brenontheroad.com. That's B-R-E-N on the road.com. And pretty much everything that you could possibly want to know about me is on that site. So all my social media, all the stories about whichever places I've been to, um, the blog posts that we've been talking about today, it's, it's all there. So mm-hmm. go and have a look. Awesome. Yeah, you've got some great stuff on there. Um, we will link to that and everything else that we mentioned today in the show notes. So, well, Bren, thank you so much for all of this. It's been really great. And um, I wish you the best going forward. Safe travels, all right? You too. Thank you for having me. 
Okay, I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks again to Bren for sharing with us. Remember, you can find links to all the numbers and articles that we mentioned today on the show notes page over at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash 83. And that's it for today. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. Hope to see you again soon. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.